There's Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey is denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back, soccer fans, to another weekly installment of FUVFC, much like last week with just a two-man crew today. Seven out Mike in the NYCFC coverage for Alex. We're going to be talking domestic in Europe, Champions League in Europe, but we really want to start today with, you know, focusing on one player but before we get all to, to all that fun stuff Alex how you doing this week my man I'm doing well you know I was sorry I couldn't be here last week you know schedules are tough these days Mr. Mike held it down doing some great work with NYCFC I gotta get out for a game one of these days over over in the Bronx I, have, I usually go once a year haven't made one yet this year so looking forward to it yeah I'm the same way back home with the Chicago fire I mean well, it's not as pleasant though yeah <laughs> yeah right it's 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 painful to go watch it's like going to watch your cousin's AYSO soccer Nonetheless, we're back, back in tandem, talking soccer. Pleasure is always to be here. But Alex, you know, we talked pre-show about, you know, what direction we wanted to go in terms of our notes. And I think we both agreed what stood out the most in this absence um, in terms of us covering international play with last week, obviously being more focused on domestic here in the, ML, uh, in the U.S. with the MLS, is Killian Mbappe. So, you know, we see Messi brought into PSG at the end of the summer. And immediately there seemed to be some tension between the front three of Neymar, Mbappe and, Mbappe and Messi. And, you know, whatever you want to credit that to, maybe it's because Mbappe is the odd man out with Messi and Neymar playing together in Barcelona. Maybe it's because he's young and like he was the promising star when PSG was really turning the tide into becoming a solidified powerhouse in Europe. But it ultimately boils down to that Mbappe's relationship currently seems like it has exhausted itself with Neymar. And I, I just want to start there before we start analyzing Messi in the situation and, you know, maybe Pochettino in the situation too. But, you know, for a minute there, it was just Neymar and Mbappe. And, you know, making a Champions League final together, you know, seemingly chemistry is all right. Is, Alex, is there any indication of what, what caused this relationship to fray? Is Mbappe feeling like he's being forced out of the spotlight? For Though Paris is in his home club, he's a French national, so clearly he's more at least – and as you'd assume in the French media, you know, he's the he's the homegrown kid playing for his for his French side. But is there do you see anything across these past like three or four months that would indicate why the relationship has deteriorated to the point where one of them needs to leave the club in order for them to be happy? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. I think the first thing that I think it's me is that how open Mbappe has been about talking about this. Like I feel like typically when you think about guys, you know, who end up staying with their team or have inner relationships that, that are kind of blowing over, they typically keep that in-house. It's not something you typically talk about, but Mbappe has been so open about making it clear that he wants to leave, that he isn't happy with the current situation. And that the, the situation with Messi, Messi specifically, he hasn't been as 
forthcoming in terms of it being problematic. He kind of says how, you know, the certain the recent words that he kind of used calling him a tramp and things like that. He said that this was kind of stuff that just happens in the game of football. And I think that that's part of it. As you mentioned, is you have a guy in Mbappe who was the front man for this team for a very long time. He was the goal scorer. He was the guy getting all the balls in the box and he was the one putting him in the back of the net. That's not really happening anymore. He said he was complaining that Messi didn't really pass him the ball enough, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about as you're a striker who doesn't feel like they're getting the ball at their feet enough. And I think that's the issue. We bring it up in a lot of other sports. When you just have too many guys, too many cooks in the same kitchen, when you have three strikers that all want the ball at their feet, that are all ball dominant players, to a certain extent, if one of them isn't getting the ball, they're going to be frustrated about it. And Mbappe, as you said, does feel like the odd man out. And he's also making it known he's the odd man out because he doesn't want to be there anymore. Like it's kind of an interesting situation where you think it's kind of twofold. Of him, number one, he's a striker who's been there for ages, who expects the ball, who wants the ball. That's not happening anymore. Number two, he also wants to leave. And we also know that's the case. And probably his teammates know that that's the case as well. Yeah, and I think something that's so interesting, too, when you're considering, you know, the dynamic of bringing in a Messi is that when you look back to the Messi, Suarez, and Neymar days of Barcelona, when Suarez is signed, you know, from Liverpool, which – is still still a sore subject for me being a Reds fan. <laughs> but when he makes that jump over, he is playing almost a true nine, meaning that he'll play in the channels between the center backs, but not so much out wide. He'll be a dangerous threat in the box. He's good with the feet with the ball at his feet. Not to say Mbappe's not, but you know, in these years since he signed with PSG since 2017, it was always seemingly that he played kind of what we've come to expect from Messi and Ronaldo and a little bit of Neymar as well, which is I'm going to play in the front three, but my position is not going to be confined to left wing, right wing striker, or wherever, wherever I'm going to slide into the 11. I'm just going to find channels and spaces and feel out the game as it goes along to get involved and play where I think I will be most effective. And then when you introduce somebody like Messi, who more or less made that style of play, made that position really into what it was, it kind of seems to be cluttered because now instead of, you know, maybe when they had a, a Cavani there, right. Or, you know, if they're going to slide Neymar central and let Neymar play the nine or just say Neymar, you take the left half and Mbappe, you take the right half and whoever's our nine is this week is just going to sit in. Now that you have three men playing kind of free flowing, at least when I watch them, granted, you know, they looked really good together against city in that champions league win um, Messi scoring his first goal for PSG, probably, you know, hoping you'd think it'd ease some tensions, but evidently not. With the exception of that game, it seemed almost like a cluster in terms of one guy is never really central. You've got guy, you've got Messi like tucking into the midfield, almost playing like a six. And then Mbappe and Neymar still trying to figure out their movement up top. So I think that maybe the introduction of Messi has started to cause these problems. But as, as you said, Alex, you know, when you call somebody a tramp, at least in my opinion, you have to imagine that the relationship was a little frayed to begin with and possibly that, you know, Messi's friend Neymar is always going to stay with Messi and that Mbappe is sadly going to be the odd man out. But I think what's the most important thing to take from it, this whole thing in terms of assessing Mbappe's relationship to PSG, at least moving forward, I think you could almost go as far as to say he was insulted when they signed Messi, not because, you know, not insulted in the sense of like, oh, you're not building enough players around me. But in, in the sense that you're saying, okay, you're great for our club, but we're going to go and try and find somebody who's better. And, you know, if that elevates your game, which you hope it will, great. But if it, if, if you're going to be a, a sacrifice in order to sign Messi, we're going to have to sign Messi. And, you know, Mbappe, 
as we said, has been very transparent in all how he's feeling. And I think a quote that really stuck out to me is he's like, if I go to Real Madrid, you know, if I make the move this winter, I want to go for a price so that PSG is able to, able to, you know, find a suitable replacement for me. So my question to you is Alex is say hypothetically, if Neymar, excuse me, if Mbappe is moving and, you know, he goes to Madrid, where, where do you see this PSG side going? Because push comes to shove. I like Mbappe more than I like Neymar on that team. I think Mbappe is obviously he's younger. So, you know, you're, your ceiling with him is so much higher because you know you're still going to have that pace for at least another three, four years. Technically, he's advanced significantly since moving to the side in 2017, and you you think he's going to be the face of soccer as Messi and, uh, and Ronaldo hang up their boots. But if if Mbappe leaves, where do you go if you're if you're PSG? Do you sign you know maybe somebody like? Granted, he just signed, but just using him as an example, a player like Lukaku, who plays a sure, true nine, sure. that's going to sit, that's going to sit in the center of the park and let Messi and Neymar kind of move wherever they please, and he'll just keep that shape of the front three. Or do you try and find an exact replica of Mbappe? Do you look young? Do you try and you know poach somebody that's perhaps flying under the radar, or do you just kind of sit with the squad as it is and trust your depth and move forward and you know? If you have to play two up front, if you have to retool kind of playing a false nine, that's almost like if you were – I've seen and I've kind of thought about maybe sitting Verratti almost as a mm. nine, but playing him so deep that he's just able to provide balls in Messi and Neymar going forward and then the midfield can move as a unit. I don't know. I just don't, I just don't see PSG realistically with a solid identity without Mbappe in that, in that side. Well, that's why you bring up such an interesting point in my perspective. When you think about the Mbappe Messi as a direct comparison, you know, what I know we talked about this weeks ago now, trying to rationalize why they went out and got Messi. And I don't think we've still realized an answer because, like you said, they end up occupying the same place up top, him, Neymar, and Mbappe. So, like if you're getting messy, you're you're aging yourself, number one. You're you're ruining your your sort of longevity that Mbappe provides as such a young player with such a bright future. So what's the benefit of that? And like you mentioned, I have to think they're gonna have to look young because. Messi and Neymar are not going to be around forever. Obviously, we know that. And you need somebody that has the explosiveness, you know, Mbappe playing at the top of the pitch, of course. Somebody who has that explosiveness, that goal-scoring ability, is probably somebody that we don't even know about right now because that's what Mbappe started off as, somebody that we didn't really know about. And that's kind of what PSG, you know, where they brought him out in terms of making him a star there with the players around him. And I think you have a similar situation you're going to have to find yourself in now because Messi and Neymar, as you mentioned, they aren't going to be around forever. And they're going to have some questions to make about how to fill that gap because it sounds like, Everything we're hearing, it sounds like that gap is going to create itself. Mbappe seems like he is absolutely going to be out, if not now. Obviously, when January rolls around, he becomes a free agent. He can go wherever he wants. And he says Madrid is, like you mentioned, that only option that he's going to take. And if he does it, you know, because he seems to love PSG still at the end of the day, regardless of everything that has happened here, regardless of all the drama, he says that he still cares for PSG. He's been very happy there. He respects everything that they've done for him. And he, like you said, he wants to get out of there on a paycheck that will enable them to sign someone else to make their room to, to replace that gap. And there's enough talent on this team, as you mentioned, with the midfielders and Baratti, obviously a great goalkeeper in Dunaroma and a terrific back line. There's enough talent on PSG that you think, and the manager too, you get questions there, but I think there's enough talent on PSG, especially playing in League One, that they could still be very successful, especially with Messi and Neymar. Let's not act like they don't exist anymore, even if they are getting a little bit older. And even if there is a lot of this drama and perhaps perhaps Mbappe leaving will actually clear up some of that drama because, you know, you have the one guy in the room who doesn't want to be there. He's gone now. So I think there's a lot of solutions 
that could potentially be down the line and we'll end up seeing what happens. But to me, it seems like Mbappe heading out is a foregone conclusion. And I have to think that a young star, somebody with that same explosiveness, that same ability to, to grow with the team like Mbappe did is going to be the guy that comes in in this place. Yeah, definitely ro rolling around to January. There's going to be a ton of shakeup. I, I, I personally expect in Europe as, you know, contenders separate themselves from the pretenders both domestically, but in the champions league as well. But, you know, we're talking a lot about Mbappe moving to Real Madrid and perhaps that's exactly what they need because <laughs> since Ronaldo left to Juve, what three years removed now, four years removed now, they've really lagged that, you know, star that really captivated a team. You know, you look at a team like Real that had the, the Ronaldo nine before CR seven, you know, that had a Kaká that had an Ozil that was pretty much funneling dynasties onto the onto the pitch week in and week out. And then Ronaldo leaves and not to take credit away from the Madrid team that now feels, I mean, you've got a ton of, a ton of talent there. In my opinion, still a lot of unproven talent. You know, you got to wonder how long is the Vinicius window going to be open? Is Isco going to be a permanent member of that 11th? You know, Courtois is your seemingly your keeper, but besides him, you've got an aging Marcelo in a back line that's without a leader in mm -hmm. terms of Varane that left, in terms of Ramos that left. So a lot of question marks moving forward for Real. But seemingly, if you can go out and sign Mbappe, it's going to become another. It's going to become the destination that it once was in terms of signing all these, you know, world class players. But I think while we're examining Real Madrid, we would be ignorant not to mention the absolute shocker that happened two weeks ago from today yeah today's tuesday so two weeks ago from yes. today when sheriff a team in the russian <laughs> soccer federation who allegedly may or may not have ties to kgb ownership i'm not entirely sure i kind of ran down that rabbit hole and kind of wanted to stop before you know somebody showed up at my doorstep was asking why i was inquiring about the origins of this club but madrid at home at the bernabao loses 2-1 to a seemingly nobody in the Champions League. You know, their Champions League season so far was a win against Inter, and now, you know, that horror show. If Mbappe comes to Real, Alex, are they once again the Real of old, the ones that go back to back to back in the Champions League final? Are they the ones that is Zinedine going to become the manager that everyone wants him to be? Or is it just still going to be another piece in a puzzle that's going to need to evolve Real Madrid into a top tier side in, in the world again? Not to say that they're not right now, but seemingly two, three years ago when you'd come against Real Madrid in a Champions League match, you think, okay, this has got to be the best 90 minutes of football we've ever played or we're done. Versus now where it's okay, Sheriff can kind of show up and steal three points and walk away and Real Madrid's seemingly content with that. Well, let me read you some stats, Keenan, on this, the sheriff game that I want to hear your reactions to. Possession in the game, 76% towards Real Madrid. Shots on goal, 11. Total shots, 31. 31, that's a real number. They also had 13 corner kicks. Sheriff didn't have a single one in that game. So, obviously, Madrid was dominant on the ball. They were dominant in possession. They were dominant on target. What are they missing? Precision. And that's obviously the one thing that you don't have with this team right now, because as you mentioned, Vinicius, I think you remember how hyped he was in, in a, a long a few years ago now. And he just hasn't, I don't think, panned out to the extent they were hoping for. Benzema, he's the guy you obviously trust up top, gives it a penalty in the game. That's terrific. Over on the right side, though, I think you still have questions. Obviously, Hazard is very effective, but you know, there's a certain extent with him. You don't know how much more you're getting out of him. And the midfield is a you know a questionable group as well. I mean, you have Luka Modric, obviously, is somebody who's a very impactful player, but 
Uh, same thing with Rodrigo on the back line. But I mean, just a lot of guys that in general are talented. They're familiar names, but it doesn't sound like they have what they need to put balls in the back of the net, especially when you're losing to a team like Sheriff and, and struggling in La Liga here and there as well. Look, in terms of the route forward, I think Madrid is going to make a splash signing. I don't think there's any question about it. They're a team that's done it in the past. They have the money to do it. And I don't think they're going to accept results like this. At the end of the day, they're just not. We should give Sheriff some credit. They're sitting actually at the top of the group right now after beating Shakhtar the first match day and now beating Madrid. I mean, there's a pretty good chance they'll actually advance to the knockout rounds here with six points compared to Madrid's three. And those seem like the two teams that are going to go through. So to their credit, they've lived up to the task. But for Madrid, as you mentioned, they've been lost for a few years now. And even when, you know, even after Ronaldo left, there was that small gap where they were still a competitive team. They were going back and forth with Barcelona. They had a lot going for themselves. But now it just seems like a bit of a lost team, as you mentioned. And especially when you lose a game like this to Sheriff, you sit at just three points in your group in the Champions League. It's not that optimistic, but you have to think they're going to make a change. It's a team that, they're, like you mentioned, they are still a high-class team. And you know that they, they are not happy with the way they're playing right now. And when that's the case, the best way to do that is, you know, in soccer, just go out and sign players because you have the right manager, obviously. That's not something that's going to change, but you need the right personnel. When you have this many shots on target, you have this much of the ball, and it can't go in the back of the net, it's not a tactical issue. I don't think that's the problem here. It's very simply having the right guys up top that can put the ball in the back of the net. And Mbappe, obviously somebody that would be capable of doing that. I think you've got to pay whatever price you can to get him when the time rolls around in January. Yeah, and, you know, as you mentioned, Alex, there was that seemingly that window in which uh, Ronaldo leaves and, you know, Barcelona is still Barcelona, but, you know, Madrid still has a formidable 11 minus Ronaldo that they can run out and field. But, you know, after that loss to Sheriff, you think, okay, maybe this team finds the next gear that this loss to a seemingly nobody in terms of the European giants that we're used to seeing beat Real Madrid would wake some stuff up. But then a 2-1 loss this weekend to Española in La Liga, you know, they still sit tied um, atop La Liga. It's, they're at 17. Atleti's also at 17. And then uh, Real Sociedad is at 17 too. But, you know, one of my – not to speak of English football superiority because I feel like that's a difficult thing to do um, in terms of – recognizing talent throughout all of European soccer, but something that I always thought, especially when you look at a team like Madrid is that the champions league is really what they want to win in the mm -hmm. sense that La Liga seemingly every year is won by either Atleti, Barca or Real. And, you know, obviously you don't want to lose to either of those teams because they are such heavy rivals, but seemingly always the emphasis was at least of recent years was okay let's try and win the champions league and win a, a double at home and maybe even get a treble if we can win you know the copo del sol or something like that but i'm just wondering now you know if i'm real madrid okay so say you you, you think they'd go through because they got that win against inter and then they play uh Shakhtar later uh this fall after the international break is done and then you assume they're going to figure it out and take care of sheriff and probably finish top their group in a world in which Barcelona has dropped off the map in terms of, you know, we've seen their form and I want to get to them in a second, but if you're Real Madrid right now, is, is winning La Liga more important than going after a champions league? Cause, because the way I see it, at least as it sits right now is right now, in terms of your champions league group, you lucked out. Yes. You drop a tough match, whatever that's water under the bridge. But realistically, you can't be putting together results of losing to non-top side teams in both competitions, and you can't make this a habit. And you, you seemingly can't find goals in either in either division. You know, one goal against Sheriff, 
one goal against Inter Milan, one goal this past weekend against Espanyol. So my question to you, Alex, is if you're Zinedine Zidane, do you just run Karim Benzema into the floor? Because he's seemingly the only guy that can get on the score sheet for this team or, you know, produce consistent goal scoring opportunities. Do you just run him into the floor until you get reinforcements come, come January? Or is it going to be like, okay, what we should be doing right now is placing a higher emphasis on La Liga because we think in the long run, we're going to be more okay to make the knockouts in the champions league, given our group. Or do you say, okay, we well, need to finish top of our group in the Champions League, leave no doubt in the rest of Europe that we're still the powerhouse that we once were? Or do you still focus more domestically and try and set yourself in a position to go get a La Liga title, assuming you make some splashings in the winter window? Well, it's a tough question because you don't think, can't have both. Like, that's the main thing here. Because you look at the La Liga standings at the moment, Madrid, uh, Atletico Madrid, and Sociedad are all tied with 17 points. And I don't think those latter two teams are going anywhere. I personally think Atletico is very talented right now. They might even be the favorite over Real Madrid with the way things are looking. At the same time, I don't think Madrid is capable really of competing in the Champions League. I don't know about you, but I'm not confident. You have so many good teams out here right now, and even smaller teams like Sheriff, as an example, Club Bruges, another one defeat Leipzig last week. You have small teams like this that are starting to prove themselves as well on a, on a grand stage. Madrid is going to get caught by one of them. I have no doubt about that. So I don't really think that their odds in the Champions League are all that high, particularly, as you mentioned, when the goals aren't coming from enough enough places. Benzema really is your only proven goal scorer. Other guys might get you in the back of them every now and then. You know, they had a six-goal outburst against, you know, Mallorca earlier in the La Liga, but that's such an anomaly. It's not something you can really count on, as opposed to other teams like Liverpool or City or even Ajax. You see other Champions League teams that can really put the ball in the back of the net. Madrid can't do that. So I'm not confident in their ability to do that. So I wouldn't really think the Champions League is in play, quite honestly. I just don't think they're there yet against the Giants of Europe. I mean, look at out of the, the group stage, obviously. I don't expect much more after that. And I have to think your focus on is on La Liga because, as you mentioned, Barcelona has created this very large gap here where you have to, if you're Madrid, you have to be the favorites here, Real Madrid. And even though there's two other teams right there with you, this team's history, this team's dominance, this team's expectations means that they have to be the team at the top of it. And if they're not, that's a disappointment. We've mentioned that there's a lot of weaknesses. We've mentioned that they're not great at scoring the ball. We've mentioned that there's injuries. We've mentioned that there's problems. But if Real Madrid can't win La Liga, especially when Barcelona is down like this, I think it gives you a lot of questions about where this team sits right now. And as you mentioned, they'll make moves. They'll make signings. They will get better. And if that happens and you still can't win La Liga, that's, to me, your benchmark. You know, it's not – I don't think it's like the Premier League where we mentioned that is a juggernaut where so many teams are going to go after it where you almost have to prioritize, you know, you know, you can't compete in both the Champions League and the Premier League. You have to pick one or the other. But with Madrid, a Liga is a different expectation, I feel like, where you don't have as many talented teams. You have the three teams really up top right now. One of those is missing. I think your, your expectation has to be to win. And if you don't, it has to be a disappointment. And you have to make the personnel changes necessary in order to ensure that at the very least Real Madrid is winning La Liga because if they don't do that, it's going to be hard for them to, to get back. Yeah, and you know, as we talk La Liga and you know, a league that perhaps we don't focus on enough, um, at least on this podcast in the start of the season, but I'm, I'm sure we'll definitely continue to watch it as it continues to unfold and we follow the storylines of if Mbappe's coming, but perhaps an even bigger storyline coming out of La Liga is what the actual blank is going on at Barcelona. Because for my entire childhood, and I'm sure it's just, I mean, Alex, we're, I think we're the same age, if not like give or take a year, but for all of us young soccer fans and old soccer fans too, I'm sure if you're listening in, Barcelona has always been synonymous with dominance and has been synonymous with winning. And so, you know, you lose Messi this year and you think, okay, this is a time for a team like Barcelona to rebrand itself, to find a different gear and, you know, find out who they are without their star player for the past 10 years. 
And what we've seen this year so far has been nothing short of an embarrassment as far as I'm concerned. Currently sitting ninth in La Liga with 12 points from seven matches. Granted, they've got to make up a match and theoretically could go up to 15, which it would catapult them into fourth. But this is not a this is not a team that you you see fourth place and you're like, okay, you know, they're performing not only above expectations, but at least at expectations. As far as I'm concerned, if Barcelona is not top one or two or even three, if Athletic's having a good year, this team is really for naught. And then you think, as we were talking about, the you either go after Champions League or Domestic League, and you know sometimes you can prioritize both depending on the depth of your schedule. Going after the, I mean, how about none Barcelona? I mean, Christ Almighty, three three zero loss to Benfica uh, last Wednesday. Gross. 3-0 loss against Bart Bayern uh, a few weeks back on September 7, uh, September 14th, excuse me. And then, you know, you think, okay, the Bar- the Bayern loss is expected because Bayern at least recently has proven that they are leaps and bounds better than most teams in Europe. And without Messi, you know, you're kind of trying to figure it out. It's a tough first game in the Champions League to see how you're going to stack up with a, with a new younger side, with a, a different direction. But then you go and play Benfica, and you lose 3-0. I mean, Alex, talk, talk me off the ledge here. Like, how, how do you justify that? Because it's not like, you know, you're losing to Bayern 3-0, and then, you know, you're dominant in the domestic league. I mean, you, you tie Granada 1-1. You tie Cadiz 0-0. You beat Levante 3-0. Okay, great. Then you lose to Benfica 3-0, and then you lose 2-0 to Atleti. And then you play Valencia this weekend, or excuse me, in two weekends, which is no walk in the park. And then hopefully, hopefully they when they play Dynamo Kiev in two weeks' time, they get a win in the Champions League. Because I, I'm willing to say that if they don't beat, if they don't get all three points against Dynamo that game, their Champions League season is over. There's no way that they can come back and make a push in this group, or definitely cannot qualify as a third team looking in. So, Alex, my question to you is it's sim- similar to what I asked you in Real. Where's this? Where's the focus for this Barcelona side? Because seemingly right now it's at, it's neither. It's just we're going out there. We're going to play lackluster soccer, and if we get a result, great. And if we don't, okay, we'll rinse and repeat, and it'll be the same thing week in and week out. I don't even think, like you said, I don't even think it's about the results, though, for Barcelona right now. Because like you mentioned, I mean, you're on a ledge with this team, and you just don't know what to do because you look at the roster. You look at the guys that are on this team. There is no reason they should be this poor. I mean, you get Memphis Depay as a world cast striker. You have guys taking pay cuts to stay on this team and to enable them to sign new players. You have a terrific back line. You have a great goalkeeper. Solid young talent. Asu Fadi, Sergino Des. We can go all day about that. This is a team that at the very least should be competitive. I mean, not, not losing, as you mentioned, 3-0 in the Champions League, getting blown out to teams that are of a significantly lower class than them. This is not like they're losing to juggernauts. I mean, other than Bayern. Benfica is not a team you can lose to 3-0. That, that's embarrassing, as you mentioned. And really, I think it comes down to the same reasons what we saw with Lionel Messi and the saga that happened with him. It's just a team that isn't ran well. And that goes down to the ownership. That goes down to the manager, Ronald Koeman. That goes down to so many different things about this team. And the players understand it. I mean, you hear the players talking about how this is a dire situation. Things are not good. The team has to be better. Something needs to be fixed. And there's so many issues plaguing this team that they just can't seem to overcome. It was the same problem with Messi. You know, it was such an obvious solution. One second he's there, he's committed. Next second he's gone and out the doorstep. And it's just such a perplexing situation with this team and the way in which it's run. And that's why you can see it in the players. It seems like they don't even want to be there. And it's interesting that Depay has no regrets of coming to Barcelona. He says he still wants to be here. And it sounds like from what he's saying, 
there's an optimistic outlook for the future and that this team will overcome the current struggles. And obviously getting rid of the manager is one route to that. Switching up the lineup is another route to that. But there's simply, the fact of the matter is that this team is lacking energy. It's lacking motivation. The guys that are on it are simply too good for the results that are happening. And they have to make a change away from the field. You know, ownership simply, the money is not being put in the right places. Coman uh, is simply not doing the right job right now as manager of this team. And there's, there's obviously a disconnect between the players, between the ownership, and between the manager. And if those three things aren't in tandem, it's going to be very difficult for a team to succeed. And we're seeing that with Barcelona, just a very, very dire situation. There's no motivation. There's no life. I have to think you're giving them Champions League odds if they beat Dynamo. I'm not giving them any odds. I think that they're done in the Champions League. Just no points. You're down by six goals at the moment. I just don't see them turning it around at all. And, and they'll probably even lose to Dynamo just because of how this team is played right now. I just don't have any confidence in them. And really, they just have not looked like themselves, as you mentioned, ever since Messi left. And it's not surprising, though, because it sounded like there were there was a lot of mud in the water that was going to boil over. And we're seeing it now. We're seeing in the results. And it's just a matter of not not uh, of when, not if Barcelona will make a change. And we'll see what that changes. If it is the players, if it is the manager, I have to think it might be a lot of them because there are clearly a lot of holes this team needs to fill right now. Yeah, and I, I think to wrap up our Barcelona talk, when I saw Komen get introduced as the manager, I think that was a, an immediate red flag for me because prior, I mean, granted, it might have been a legacy decision as he was a player for Barcelona when he was a, a player, um, but then he managed in England. And I think with the exception of like the true greats, like Pep, okay, who can coach anywhere and be successful because he's such a, a strong tactician. I think there's seemingly a disconnect in coaching an English side versus coaching a team like Barcelona, especially when the English side you're coaching is Everton. No disrespect to Everton, but it's it's not a team in which you have the depth and you know the financial privilege that you do if you were to coach, you know, Pep's route, you know, a Bayern, a Barca, and now a City, where you know, seemingly anyone that you want, you can go out and get. That's not a reality that was ever afforded to Komen in terms of managing before Barcelona. And I, I don't want to say, you know, oh, all this financial freedoms, you know, throwing a throwing a rod into the wheel. But I definitely think that it was a step that perhaps he was not ready to take as a manager and perhaps that Barcelona was aware of and just kind of ignored and hoped that he would pan out in the way they had hoped. But I think watching them play, especially in especially in Europe, you see a lot of shortcomings in terms of not only tactics, but in terms of what Komen can get out of players. I think, you know, I'll use Jurgen Klopp as an example because I'm a Liverpool fan, but it's a, it's applicable to any, even like a Mourinho, okay? Even a Solskjaer, we're starting to see him kind of have that cult of personality on the touchline in which anytime he wants something of his player, his player is going to go out and give it to him, no questions asked because his player has the utmost confidence in the ability of their manager to recognize where the team's falling short and how that individual player can contribute to larger success. And I think Komen is missing that. And I think when you, when you manage a team like Barcelona that has such high pedigree, such high, you know, payroll and expectations for players, you need a, you need a manager on the sideline. That's going to not take any stick from any player. You know, we saw it last year with Messi too, like grievances or whatever, like realistically, if, when I saw that if I'm a Barcelona supporter and or and or owner, I'm thinking, okay, either Coman needs to sit him or Coman needs to walk because you can't have a clear disconnect between players' expectations and the bosses. But to wrap up today, Alex, I think 
we need to return to return to the Premier League because for the first time all season we see a team sit alone on top of the Premier League, and that's going to be Chelsea at 16 points with a whole plethora of guys within two. Um, most surprisingly, Brighton sitting at six with 14 points, and then you've got uh, Everton, United, Man City, Liverpool rounding out that top top six, um, and then a couple guys sitting at 12, totally not out of it. But I think the only thing I really want to talk about and I'm going to leave it completely open-ended. We can talk about however we want to spin it for these next five, 10 minutes is this is perhaps the greatest shaping up to be the greatest title race we've seen in a couple of years, just because with the exception of the Leicester city run, but even in the Leicester city run, it was Leicester versus Tottenham. We haven't seen a true, a true run for a premiership title. That was as, that was as, densely populated as this is shaping up to be. I mean, we know Tottenham's only sitting at 12 points, sitting in eighth position, but you know they're going to eventually string together a couple wins, probably catapult themselves up into that top five or be in the bubble top five and be a side in which, you know, if you're a, if you're a title contender, you really have to get up for. But looking down that, I mean, I watched that Chelsea, uh, that Liverpool versus City game. I watched Chelsea this weekend. I watched United play against Everton in which they shared points at Old Trafford. The transparency in this league this year is truly, truly remarkable. I think, especially after you know the the summer signings that we saw with Ronaldo coming home, Sancho being introduced to the Premier League again, you know Grealish moving over, and City seemingly adding on with Laporte in the back end. I kind of expected it to be like a a two horse race between maybe the two Manchester's and then you know Chelsea, Liverpool, um, insert Tottenham if you want, kind of rounding out that bottom four and it kind of being like, okay, if it's going to require one of these teams to stumble in order for someone else to get, to get the title. But right now watching, you know, week in and week out, because I premier league is my favorite league. And I think at least in the United States, it's the most accessible to watch. So perhaps a lot of our listeners are feeling the same way, but looking at this table, Alex, are there any outliers that you see, you know, maybe Everton sitting on five, maybe Brighton sitting on, I mean, Brighton sitting in six, both of them at 14 points, you know, Leicester City not playing as well as perhaps they would like to hope. Or, you know, just looking at this past weekend's results, you know, United not looking as dominant as they had hoped. That Yuri Mina goal that he was offside for, but, I mean, realistically, Everton was about two two feet from snatching all three at Old Trafford. That Liverpool versus City game, the two titans of English football seemingly of late, you know, end-to-end stuff, really fluid. And, you know, as a Liverpool fan watching that, I'm thinking, okay, this, these teams match up perfectly. Like in the second half, it was just quite literally end-to-end. Somebody attacks, you know, clearance. Okay, other end. So, Alex, as, as we look at this, you know, going into the international break, I, I wonder where do you see a certain team falling off? Where do you see a certain team stepping up? Um, and, and ultimately who can we expect, we're not going to say for the end of the end of the season right now, just because I think it's so, it's so tight that to pick one team out of the, out of the top four, I'll say is, is pretty hard to do right now, but let's just, let's just say boxing day, you know, probably the halfway point for the season, right around Christmas time. Who do you see atop the premier league and why? Cause I have my own selection and I will say it's not Liverpool, but I, I want to, I'm curious to know what you think. Well, I'll say this. The top five to me are not going anywhere. I think Chelsea, we talked about last week. I have a feeling they're going to be laser focused on the Premier League. And guess what? They lost in the Champions League events last week. Not a surprise. I think we were spot on with that. They're not going anywhere. Liverpool, City, I think we know we know that they're the two juggernauts. They have been for the past half decade. They are the two teams that are not going anywhere. Manchester United is the one that I really think 
is interesting. And I'll get back to them in a second because I'm expecting a jump from them. Everton, I think, will also hang around. They're, they're a, mid, a mid-table, top-table team that's not going to go anywhere. I want to give a quick shout-out to Brentford, too, who's made a really, really huge impact. You know, obviously, they picked up the draw with Liverpool in a 3-3 thriller. I mean, they have been such a fun team. Very similar, I don't know what you think, but to Leeds what last year and what we saw from them. Have that one year where you show up, the next year you would drop off. Same thing with Sheffield. We see it every year. First year, they make a big jump, and then they go down after that. I think you're going to see that with, with Brentford as well, but a lot of respect to them in the way that they've started off. And Brighton, a real surprise there. I don't know how long Brighton's going to hang up, but for to be sixth at a, a good way into the season right now, it's kind of impressive. And I think you got two teams behind them, Tottenham and West Ham, who I would expect to make some significant jumps kind of supplanting Everton and Brighton because I think those are two teams that are very impressive. Uh, Tottenham has just never really figured it out, but I think, you know, i got to give out the shout-out to my guy Nuno. I think they're going to step it up a little bit. And we saw a lot from West Ham last year. They're a very consistent team, a very talented team, not going anywhere. So I expect them to move into the 5-6 category in terms of some movement. But up top, I'm also with you. I don't think it's Chelsea. I don't think it's Liverpool. I think it's Manchester United who's at the top of the table come Boxing Day. And the reason I say that is I think the team is, is the most talented team. To me, they have a lot of holes. Don't get me wrong. They're a very, very... Uh, they have a lot of gaps in that team in terms of the back line, in terms of the, the names that you have up top. There's just a lot of debating. And I think Olgunner still has to work out a lot of the kinks with this lineup. And at the end of the day, I think they have the most different lineups they can throw at you at top that are very difficult to defeat. And that's the thing as the season goes along, as you start to figure sides out, Manchester United, I think, will keep surprising you. This is a story that's going to, to, to unfold itself as the year goes along. It's going to keep changing. It's going to look different every week. And I think that's why you're seeing some of the question marks now, some of the results now. But come Christmas time, come Boxing Day, I think you're going to see a lineup that this team is most confident in. And it's one that they can change any second because of the amount of talent that they have. Chelsea, Liverpool, City, you know what you're going to get from them. And I think Manchester United is that one surprise team that could, as time goes along, throw so many different things at you that they're going to be, be a little bit hard to beat. So I'm keeping my eye on United. City's not going anywhere. Liverpool's not going anywhere. And Chelsea I, not, obviously is not either. But I think United is the one that's going to sneak up and, and make, make some surprises come, come Christmas time. I, I like that you brought up United because at least right now as I see them, I like United and in all of the ways that you said. I, I think that in terms of going forward, they are the best team in the Premier League. I think that once Oleg starts to kind of figure out who he likes where and when and versus what type of uh, versus what type of 11 he's coming up at, I don't think anyone's going to be able to take care of United as we've seen them kind of spill points as of late. But going to Boxing Day, I think that when you bring up all these changes Solskjaer is going to need to make, I just don't think he's got time to make them this soon. I think that, you know, Ronaldo's kind of the guy that everyone's going to look for. And you're never going to leave Ronaldo out of a, a big match. But in terms of where you who you put around him and when, I think that's still going to take a little bit of time for Ole to get 100% comfortable with the 11 that he's going to field. You know, Sancho, all things considered, I think has been really lackluster for United. You know, you bring him in, you're expecting a big splash, and you're expecting him to be among the goals. But as, as of late, we really haven't seen that yet. He's been really, really good going forward. But I think when you play Ronaldo alongside Sancho, you need him to play in more of a, a role-playing mm-hmm. position, which perhaps he's not in on right now. But I, 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 I'm optimistic that Ole is going to sooner rather than later figure that out. And United's still going to be in the top of the race. But come Boxing Day, I think I'm just going to sit with Chelsea. I think Tuchel knows his system so dang well that at least for the start of the season, even though we're a couple matches in um, – I still think that Tuchel knows his his side the best. And he though like Pep and Jurgen Klopp have been 
with their side significantly longer. And Solskjaer is still figuring it out, but he knows the guys who he can rely on. I just think that that Chelsea midfield and that defense is just too formidable, at least at the start of the season, to really have any issues. I don't I don't anticipate them. You know, granted they lose to City one 0 they draw with Liverpool one one to spill some points, but. Overall, I've been thoroughly impressed with every time Chelsea's taken the field. I think Tuchel has instilled such a culture within Chelsea since he's taken over in place of Lampard of, okay, we're just going to be a midfield dominant team. And, you know, whoever we have up top, probably not Timo Werner because he can't score, but with the exception of him, everyone else that we're going to throw up top, your your job is just to go out there, fill a channel and, you know, get on the end of a cross or get a nice slide, slid ball through the midfield. And when you, we bring up United, cause I think United is, is probably second, second choice, at least if we're looking at boxing day in terms of. You so know, you, you think they're above Liverpool? I think Liverpool, I think Liverpool is going to kind of ride the bubble for a while. All things considered. I think they're going to be in a position in which at most they're five points out of first place. But I, I think the issue with Liverpool is, you know, their Champions League group is so hard. They've, you know, they played Milan one. And then they're in, you know, the most recent game, whatever you want to make about that against Porto, like Liverpool just owns Porto for some reason in the Champions League. I'm not, I'm not complaining, but Porto seemingly every time they play Liverpool end up on the wrong side of the fic, uh, wrong side of the result. But then you play Atletico who, Perhaps not bad blood, but I'm not going to forget the time they knocked us out um, two years ago. And, you know, at home at Anfield, you know, that's still sour grapes in Liverpool's in mouth, uh, no doubt about it. So I think that Liverpool's going to try and finish atop their group um, and might prioritize that a little bit more. And, you know, granted, they're, they're as deep as perhaps Chelsea is, but I think just the style of play in which Klopp runs it's not sustainable in the sense of Tuchel just because you, you require so much out of your fullbacks. You require so much out of, you know, your Mane's, your Salah, and even now Diego Jota's become a, become an everyday starter in this 11 that, you know, you can't really expect those guys to produce, or, I mean, seemingly they're going to prove me wrong because they have been able to, but I just think that Tuchel's side, at least, through this Champions League group stage. Granted, they lost to Juventus, but I trust that they're going to be able to, you know, prioritize both with the roster that they have. And I think that's where Liverpool's just going to slip up a little bit just because, you know, the guys they pull off the bench, you know, you're Origi's, you know, you're, you're from Minos, who's kind of dropped off in recent years. And then, you know, in the midfield, you're bringing in Curtis Jones. If you're not playing Milner in the back as he has recently, you're going to slide him in. You're going to play Naby Keita. I just think Liverpool's, my only concern with them is that their bench, when you need your bench players to start in a match, it's a significant drop off than what their replacements would be with a normal starting 11. You know, Naby Keita, a great player, but I think he's still unproven in Klopp's system. I think, you know, if you play Firmino up top and you move Yota out wide and you sit Mane or Salah, you're clearly going to be lacking something just because of the world-class talents that they are. And that system relies so heavily on them being, you know, world-class as they are. So I like Chelsea to get to Boxing Day, top of the league. I don't know. I don't think they're going to stay there as, you know, teams drop out of Champions League, as Chelsea, you know, might have to answer some questions in terms of, 
where they're going to where they're going to make a big jump. But I just think for right now, at least as I see it, Chelsea is sitting atop the atop the prem come come Boxing Day. Well, I think the thing that's so funny about it is, you know, we always try to get cute with our answers, you know, to the Chelsea, Man United. At the end of the day, let's be honest here, Liverpool and Man City have given us no reason to believe they're not going to be back again. I mean, you look at City, I mean, the same juggernaut they've always been, and you saw the 2-2 draw. Every time these two teams play, it's just fireworks. So I agree with you. Things will be in an interesting place at Boxing Day. I don't think either one of them will be at the top of the table, but as they prove year after year, there's just this ability, this consistency with the managers. And Tuchel, to his credit, has really come in, as you mentioned, instituted quite a system where Chelsea can just sit back really compete against anybody. It's very impressive. But I think these two teams, Liverpool and City, have proven year after year they are going to be in the conversation. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're on top of the table, not not to the same separation that we've seen years past. There's no question about that. It will be a tight race, but I wouldn't be surprised if these two teams still, like they always do, find a way to, to sit on top of it in the end. And it'll be a lot of fun either way, so looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, perhaps that was us just, you know, not taking cop-out cop out picks there because I think <laughs> – can never do that, yeah. Yeah, you can't. Recent years would suggest that it would be Liverpool or City, and there's no fun in that. There's there's no, you know, analysis in that. We can just sit back and say that, and you know, probably have a fifty percent chance of being right. But definitely will be interesting, you know, watching these upcoming weeks coming out of an international break where some guys are playing, some guys aren't. Teams kind of get a chance to reset with you know not training together every week, but definitely going to be an interesting back couple months to this. Uh, 2021 part of the 2021-22 season. Um, I'm definitely excited. I liked, you know, as we talked about Liverpool City, kind of some bias, but that that was a that was a match you expected from those two, and definitely, you know, one of those matches that you look at and you're like, that's a Premier League classic. That's what you expect when two big six teams go up against one another. And, and credit to Liverpool playing Chelsea a few weeks back, tying one-one. Um, we're gonna have a Manchester derby before Boxing Day, which you expect is going to be a Manchester Derby of old, you know, not this recent where Pep kind of just runs all over United or, you know, Pogba gets lucky and plays parties pooper and denies them that title a few years back, but definitely going to be some big six matchups. But like you said, Alex, you know, you've got West Ham in there. You've got Tottenham in there. You've got Brighton. Who's looked very good. You've got Brentford who's playing, you know, as you said, the leads, the Sheffield, that first year of kind of mystery, mystery style football that gives teams problems. So, Definitely seeming like the Premier League days of old um, in the sense that we're not going to have a runaway title favorite. You know, years past, we've said, I've said in October and said, okay, nobody's going to touch, you know, United this year. Nobody's going to touch Chelsea. Nobody's going to touch City. Nobody's going to touch Liverpool. These teams are leaps and bounds better than everyone else. But so far through at, through seven match weeks, we've, we've seen absolute transparency and, you know, obviously a ton to be excited about with that and a, a ton to look forward to, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely excited. Champions League too. We talked about Barca. We talked about Real. Moving towards Boxing Day, we're going to see the transfer window open up. Interesting, going to see who adds where. You know, we talked about United maybe having some shortcomings in the midfield in terms of defensive assignments because I don't think Nemanja Matic is a guy you're going to rely on too much going forward. And Fred is going to be Fred. You know, play well one week, be terrible the next. So <laughs> definitely a lot to look forward to in these last couple months, especially in seeing who makes moves in terms of where they're going to talk to potential transfer signings, but also in terms of who's going to field a different 11 first and try and make a big jump in the Premier League. But that's all that we're going to talk about today. Alex, you got anything you want to close with? or? No, it's just a packed soccer season, man. I mean, we got domestic stuff, international stuff. There's so much to break down, and I feel like we've scratched the surface of it, and it's always fun to do with you. And just such a good time for soccer right now. Everything going on. There's so many storylines. It doesn't get any better than this, man. I, I – 
I completely agree. And, you know, when we see, just to close, when we see Messi sign with PSG, right, we think, okay, PSG leaps and bounds better than everybody, three superstars. Nice knowing you, Champions League. And then it turns out to be a dumpster <laughs> fire. So it's exactly what the world of soccer loves in the sense that even the most star-studded lineups can have problems and even the most, you know, the biggest stars can become cancerous. So I'm definitely looking forward to what should be a fun week off for us. We're going to probably be back next week talking, you know, international break stuff, United States men's national team back in action. Hopefully that doesn't cause any hair loss for me because the White Sox start playoff baseball this week. And Lord knows that's already taken life away from me. So United States men's national team, White Sox, let's just be good to Keenan Troy's heart and not put me on a pacemaker before age 21. That's all we're going to do today, folks. Always a pleasure for you guys to tune in. Always a pleasure to talk soccer with you, Alex. Hopefully, you know, maybe we can get back to a three-man system. If not, I I loved last week's one-on-one with Mike. I love talking one-on-one with you. Um, We look forward to seeing you guys soon. Take care.